Well, how are we all doing? Want to welcome you back. Hey, you know what? We can come back to the house of God. That's okay. You know, uh, a lot of people are still apprehensive. They're a little bit nervous. You know, you don't need to be. I mean, this is a great place to be at. It is good, David said, that I was what? found in the house of the Lord and you know when he said that when he was going through some serious trials when the enemy was attacking him you know we don't always have to be in a place because it's always so conducive and everything around you seems like it's no friends you it is good to be in the house of the Lord and we give God the praise this morning we find ourselves in the book of Genesis chapter 25 Genesis chapter 25 will begin at verse number 19 to 34. I believe I have a, a word for the season, this season that we are in. And I thank God for his word. His word. His unchanging word. His immutable word. His all-inspiring, inspirational word that does not change because of culture. Today, friends, we're living in very difficult times where people are changing the word of God because it doesn't suit society. Be careful for people and preachers that preach only what's conducive or what seems to be popular. Stay away from popular fads and what seems to be in vogue. These preachers will tell you that the word of God is not in vogue anymore, so they're going to preach their own philosophies. Exactly what Timothy says, giving heed to seducing spirits, having itchy ears. What's new? What's the latest on the agenda? The word of God does not change, nor is it influenced by society. Society should be influenced by the word. Genesis 25. Verse 19, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham, son, Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years of age when he took Rebekah to be his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife. So stop right here, he prayed for a wife, it's a good thing to do. When you're looking for a wife, you pray for a wife. You're looking for a husband, you pray. Because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled. Notice the word struggled. Very important to the story. Struggled together within her. Where? In her womb. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Always pray when you're in a struggle. Always inquire of God when you're in a struggle. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other. And watch this now. The elder shall serve the younger. That's against protocol. That, that, that doesn't make sense. It's always been that the younger will serve the elder and submit to the elder. But now God is changing protocol. God is giving a word 
A specific word. Sometimes God will give you a specific word that will go against what you might perceive as protocol. That's why you can't walk by sight. You've got to walk by faith because maybe God is doing something a little different that you've got to have spiritual ears to hear what he's doing. That's why the Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It didn't say, as many as are led by natural reason or human intellect. Sometimes human intellect and natural reason will lead you off track. And it's hard for, for intellectuals, and it's hard for type A's, and it's hard for those who've got degrees. And I understand that because for, for those who are very educated and who are intelligent, and it's hard to, to, to function that way because, because your intelligence is telling you, wait a minute, two plus two makes four. Not five, not three. And sometimes God, uh, his math is a little off because his mathematics is not the way we add and subtract why because he's God why because his ways are higher than our ways and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled behold there were twins in her womb and the first came out red all over like like a hairy garment and they called his name Esau means red and after that came his brother out and his hand watch us now here comes the very part interesting and very important part of our message took hold on Esau's heel and his name was called Jacob Jacob means supplanter heel grabber deceiver and Isaac was three score years old when she bare him and the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter a man of the field and Jacob was a plain man simple man dwelling in tents and Esau and Isaac loved Esau why did he love the because Esau was a man's man he was a hunter he was tough yeah, he no nonsense a man's man strong virile but but Jacob was kind of a mama's boy yeah yeah he was a bit of a mama's boy he was with mommy all the time cooking learning how to cook and we're going to find out that he ends up cooking some lentils later on some soup Jacob was a bit of a mama's boy because he did eat of venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Oh, really? Loved Jacob. Go ahead. Is that it? We stop there? Verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red. Interesting red comes up again. Esau's name is Red red pottage or stew for I am faint therefore was his name called Edom Edom verse 31 and Jacob said sell me this day thy birthright what sell me my my birthright and Esau said behold I am at the point to die I'm hungry and what profit shall this birthright do to me if I starve to death and Jacob said swear to me this day he swear unto him and he sold his birth he what he sold his birthright to Jacob wow sold his birthright to Jacob I've entitled this message family feud <laughs> not the TV program hosted by uh, Steve Harvey or whatever his name is no, no. And as we begin this morning, we can't help but notice 
something powerful taking place and I mean powerful doesn't seem like it in verse 26 I want you to notice I want you to notice that Jacob he's grasping he's holding on to Esau by his heel and that's where he gets his name a heel grabber has many implications to that in verse 23 says a prophetic word that the elder will serve the younger and as I mentioned that doesn't make sense that's against protocol that should never happen especially in Jewish culture now as I look at that I, I saw something I saw something I think that's very important as we continue in our message I see something very significant spiritually we need to translate this outside of the text what does this mean for me spiritually? Does, does this heel grabbing mean anything to me spiritually? Or does this, does this element here, this prophetic word, where the younger are going to serve the older, does that make sense? What does that mean for me? Is there something deeper than this that takes place in the spiritual realm? And I believe there is. I see a message right here. And as I was looking over this, I came to, to see something that I didn't see before. There's an implication. You see, friends, the human nature, the human part of you, which is called the flesh or the outer man. Paul calls it the outer man. The outer man, your flesh, and your spirit, which is the inner man. You have your flesh, and you have your spirit. You have the outer man, which is your flesh, and you have your spirit, the inner man. That's within you, but both are still you. But both of you are fighting against you. Romans 7 says, Paul, Paul the apostle, arguably the greatest man of God that ever lived, had more spiritual insight than any man, said, I'm in a battle. I know some theologians will tell you, well, Paul was just young in his ministry. I got a good Greek word for that. It's simply called hogwash. Paul had visions. Listen, he had a battle. What I want to do are the things I don't want to do. But the things I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. Battle between the flesh and the spirit. And guess what, folks? Until we meet our Savior, face, we're going to be constantly going through these battles. Flesh against spirit. Jacob against Esau. Fighting against each other. Warring against each other. However, both are still you now I, no, no, that's not really what I want to get at it's part of it you see what I'm trying to say is this my goal in my life is to make sure that the elder will serve the younger what does that mean pastor what do you mean the elder oh stay with me we're going deeper this morning the elder will serve the younger the elder will serve the younger. What does that mean? The elder serves the younger. What that means is this. The Bible says that the elder and Paul tells us in the epistles to walk worthy of your calling. What am I saying? I'm saying, friends, I was born in 1958 physically. I'll be 64 in June. Born in 58. But I was born again in 1980. So the elder which is my flesh was born in 58 but the younger the new me the new man was born in 1980 
And my goal is to try, by God's grace, to have the elder, my flesh, serve my younger. That's just for free in case you want to receive that. It's the elder that needs to serve the younger. I've got to, as Paul says, bring my body into subjection. I'm in a warfare. And my greatest enemy, by the way, in case you don't know, is not really the devil. It's an enemy. The greatest enemy I have is me. Dealing with my flesh. And my goal is to get the elder to serve the younger. Because I'm on a journey. It's a process. It's a process, Brother Carl. It's a process. We grow, and the deeper and the closer we get to God means that the elder, the old man, the old nature is being submitted to the new man more and more. There's still struggles. But that's my goal. Oh my, and Jacob the younger grasps the heel of the older. I see something here. Listen to this one. How many times, listen to me, that you will have to grasp that moment? See, it's amazing. Jacob, from his youth, is right in the room, when we see that he's an opportunist. He's grasping the heel of his brother. But I see something here. I, 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 don't, I see these things. What does that mean for me? Well, we just talked about the elder serving the heir. Well, what, 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 about, what about this situation? Jacob is holding on to his brother's heel. Does that have any implication for me? I think there is. Listen, friends, there's going to be times that you've got to grasp the moment, to seize the moment, not to look back and see what everybody else is doing. There's too many people who are just looking back, oh, what is he doing? What is she doing? What? Where are those that are going to seize the moment? And when I think about that, I think of Peter in Acts 12, where he's about to die, he's in prison. Herod had thrown him into jail. His co-worker James was just been beheaded. Peter now is next. He's in jail. He's between two soldiers. He's locked into prison and he's sleeping. There's a sermon there. And all of a sudden, a miracle. That's why I said what? An angel appears out of nowhere. My friends, you can be locked in prison and all of a sudden, an angel will appear. But do you have the discernment to know it? And there's the angel and he says, Peter, what does he say? The first thing he says to him, Peter, get up. Make haste, he says. You gotta seize the moment, Peter. Stop sleeping. Too many people are sleeping instead of seizing the moment. Seize the moment, Peter. Until you make your flesh serve your spirit. Until you disallow. Not allowing your emotions to control your life. To not allow circumstances to manage and give you direction. Stop allowing the flesh to rule your life and to guide your life. To learn to manage your emotions and not allow your emotions to manage you. Bring your flesh under subjection. Bring your flesh under subjection. And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but find myself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 
24 to 27, we see one of the most powerful scriptures. And Paul lived by these principles. And really, it's something for all of us. Watch this now. Listen, friends. Paul calls life a race. We're all on a journey. Paul uses many athletic terms to describe the Christian walk. He talks about a wrestling match. He talks about a marathon, not a sprint, a marathon race. That's 26 miles. Not easy to run a marathon race. So he talks about a wrestling match. He talks about a marathon race. This is the Christian walk. Then he talks about uh, 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 all these athletic terms. And he, he talks about this, this fight that we are in. And he uses athletic terms. Athletic terms to depict your spiritual life and how we are to live spiritually. And in this context, he's talking about a marathon race and how to run this race. How we are to live the Christian walk. How we are to run this race in this journey that we are in. Paul says this, Know ye that they which run in a race... A lot of people are right, but one receives the prize. Back in the day, these are the pre-Olympic games called the Ithmian games. Only one, there was only a gold medal. There wasn't medals, it was a wreath. There was no bronze, no silver. You ran the race, you ran to win. Period. And Paul's saying, this is how you win this race. You're not running to get silver or gold that didn't exist. One winner. winner. You run to win, using an athletic term. To depict a spiritual principle. Keep going. Verse 25. Every man that striveth. Notice the word strive. For the mastery is temperate. In other words. You need to show self-control. You can't do anything. Without some form of discipline. And self-control. You'll never win a race. If there's no discipline. You'll never win any kind of it. If there's no discipline in your life. You'll never succeed in anything. Especially in the spiritual realm. In all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. So these athletes, they'll train. You know, every four years, what it takes for an athlete to train for the Olympic Games, it's unbelievable. When I played hockey, we started to play in October. But do you know there was a training camp all summer in order for you to play in September or October? Rigorous training. Unbelievable. Some of, them, some of my, my friends would throw up every practice. The coach would just drill you. You're training for the game. You're training for the game. Man, oh man, it was unbelievably hard. You can't run a marathon race because you decide, all right, I want to run. Can I, sign me up. And so the day comes, you want to run the race, and you collapse after 30 yards. You're not trained, man. I therefore so run, not as to uncertainly so fight, not as one that beateth air. So I'm not training haphazardly like I'm in. Now he's talking about a boxing ring. In the Olympics, back in the day, there were not many events, by the way. There was a wrestling event. There was a form of boxing and there was running. Those were three main events. Then there was discus throwing. There was javelin throwing. I'm only giving you... The, the, and there wasn't many more. But wrestling and boxing were huge. And running. Those were the three main ones. And now Paul goes from a, a marathon runner to a boxing. As one that's beating air. He's talking about boxing. 
shadow boxing. Anybody ever see anybody shadow box? You see some of them in the gym. Ever see them? Anyway, they're shut as one. What does that do? You're just, you're, you're boxing. You're aimlessly doing things. There's nobody there. But you're shadow boxing. So I'm not going to run a race like I'm shadow boxing. Nothing there. But I keep, so here's how I got to train. I can't just want to run a race because I want to run a race. I got to do something about it. I can't just serve God and just sit back and... What does it mean to serve God? There are things that God has called us to be and to do. We're not saved through works, but once you're saved, there's something that he's called you to do. And you need to be disciplined in order to do them. How? I keep my body, watch this now, and bring it into what? You know, so many believers, they've got no self-control, no discipline. They go to prayer meetings when they feel like it. They'll pick up the Bible oh, when the occasion serves it to be true. Okay, I'll pick it up. They'll praise God only when circumstances are right. No sacrifice. No self-denial. In our culture today, we, you know, what's... Self-denial, we don't like to go to a restaurant anymore a la carte because, you know, we got to go to restaurants where there's a buffet. <laughs> I got to eat as much as I can. Self-control, what's that? Self-denial, what's that? This is the modern Christianity today where, where we just do whatever we want to do because God loves us so everything's just fine. I keep my body. I'm training. I, gotta, I can't run this race if I've got excess fat on my body. I can't run this race if, if I'm not disciplined. If I haven't had sweat, i got to sweat a little bit in order to train. You ever see people in the gym sometimes? I don't, go as, I, I don't have a membership anymore. But you see something, they're, they're training and they're on the treadmill. On the treadmill. And they've gone to have a workout. And they're on the treadmill. And they have it on 2.5 and they're walking like this. And they're on their phone. Well, I'm working out. Hi, how are you? Oh, very nice. Uh, Sally, how you doing? Oh, yeah, I'm having a big workout right now. Yeah, I'll call you later because it's really tough. So, oh, what? No sweat. We want it easy. We want everything easy. I want to get in shape without sweating. doesn't work, by the way. And so when you do sweat, maybe a little drop, and you go back home, you have a Big Mac. I worked out. And then later on, you'll have a pizza. And you wonder why you don't lose any weight. It's not, you're not training properly, and you're eating too much. Can I be honest with you? And then you're rebuking the devil. Oh, the devil's what? what? Get some self-control. Well, I know you're going to get some enemies this morning, but that's fine. I've had enough of them, and I still have some. That's okay. If it can help somebody, I'm doing fine. I bring my body under subjection. I'm in a journey. I got to get the elder to serve the younger. I can't let the elder... If, if I don't do any subjection, then the elder will rule my life. The elder will control my life. Beating air. 
I'll just be beating air, shadow boxing. You know, I know it seems like a very good cardio. I've seen it in people sometimes in the gym. There, there is a bit of sweating going on. It's a, it's a great thing to shadow box if you do it properly. I've seen people do it. But, but there's a problem. There's one problem with shadow boxing. Paul says beating the air. There's nobody there. Who are you, who are you, who are you fighting with? There's nobody there when you shadow box for some of you who don't understand it, it's just a form of training. I understand that, but there's nobody there. That's why it's called shadow boxing. Now, some of you are shadow boxing, watch this now, and you're fighting things that are not there. We're going to go a little deeper this morning. You're shadow boxing, as Paul mentions, but you're shadow boxing and you're dealing with something, but it's not there. It's not there. You're still trying to prove to your father something but he's gone he's passed away and you're still trying to prove something to him and you're still swinging for what and you're still ducking for what you're scared of what what are you scared of you're shadow boxing you're still listening to old voices old demons you're still living in the past you're still living in the past you've made your residence in the past and you can't get over that not looking at your past as a reference point not a place of residence you're still living in the past insecurities comparing blaming fears paralyzing you they're affecting you and they're affecting your decisions they are affecting your decisions shadow boxing Paul calls it I got to pause for a minute because, and this is a life lesson, I believe. See, friends, you've got to listen. You and I, we need to stop and we can't measure your impact or my impact. You can't do that until you get at least a sparring partner with you, someone with some gloves on. You can't really measure how, how far you're going. How, how strong you're getting unless somebody is in the ring with you. Are y'all with me? Somebody in the ring with you. You can shadow box all you want, but there's nobody. But it's not until somebody is in the ring who's got some gloves on and begins to punch back. If you've got nobody punching back, so to speak, well, how are you really going to be able to train? You might get a bit of a cardio element to it, but nobody's fighting back with you. You're just shadow boxing in the ring and there's nobody there. And you can't really measure how well you're doing. Again, your, your, your blood will be circulating. You might sweat a little bit, but nobody's there. No, no, someone's got to hit you back. You see, you see, what is the shadow, what initially is shadow boxing for? Shadow boxing is preparation for something. You're preparing yourself. Before an athlete runs in a marathon race, he's got to at least learn how to run around the block. If you can't run around the block, you know, a little, how are you going to run a, a, a marathon? So, so in a sense, when you're running around the block, you're shadow boxing. You're preparing yourself for the big one. I'm going to use that. You're preparing yourself for the big one. What is the big one? Well, well, stay with me. David did some shadow boxing. David shadow boxed with a lion. 
he shadow boxed with a bear for the big one because when Goliath came on the scene he was ready he was ready to deal with Goliath because he already shadow boxed with a lion he shadow boxed with a bear and he was ready for Goliath God was preparing David for the big one we're going to talk about the big one the big one if there wasn't a lion and if there wasn't a bear he wouldn't have the big one he wouldn't be able to deal with Goliath if there's no bear and there's no lion forget about it Goliath will destroy you because you're not prepared you can't run a marathon race if you haven't learned to run around the block a couple of times and you're blaming the devil you're blaming the pastor you're blaming your friends you haven't even put on some running shoes to run around the block yet I bring my body into subjection Paul says I'm in the ring shadow boxing that's okay but I can't really measure what I'm doing in that shadow boxing because there's nobody there but it's I'm preparing myself I'm getting ready I'm getting ready for something I'm getting ready for the big one I'm getting ready I'm in a journey God's preparing me he worketh all things in me he that's begun a good work shall what he that's begun a good work in me shall what shall complete it we're in process we're in that ring we're in that race I see something here watch this friends you see it's very possible that the last fight you fought was preparation for the fight the battle that's coming it is very possible that the last fight you had the last battle you experienced is preparation maybe it was a lion maybe it was a bear but it's preparing you for the big one God is preparing you for that one battle that's about to take place yeah yeah Goliath is around the corner you don't see it yet and so I need to be thankful to God for all the battles I go through I need to be thankful to God all these things I'm going through and stop complaining and murmuring about all my battles because God's preparing me in the ring for the big one God's preparing me running me around the block a couple of times to get me ready for the marathon race all things work together for good all things work together for good the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord all the steps are ordered by God all the steps the tough steps the good steps the bad steps all things work together for good all things good things bad things all things were for what for the big one God's preparing you for something all things were there. for what that you be conformed to his image that Jesus is seen in you so battles will come lions will come bears will come snakes will come alligators will come but it's all preparation so your trials and your lions and your bears are your best friends and you don't even see it you think they're your worst enemies and you're rebuking the devil every minute when God's using the bears and the snakes to get you to where you need to be my God am I speaking to somebody this morning preparation is so Preparation. Preparation. When thou goest through the fire. When thou goest through the rough waters. Never says when you go around them. 
I will be, I will be. God is getting me ready for the big one. And so, friends, experience matters. Experience matters. I remember when I was being interviewed to pastor not this church, the church previous to this one, they asked me, board member, what is your experience? Now, experience is extremely important. It's not always the main ingredient, but it is very important. Experience. What you go through, friends, that you want to vanish like this is something that God's working for a purpose. Your experiences with the lions and the bears will determine your destiny. Do you understand that? Experience, it's like knowledge. It's like how many people have knowledge of God, but they don't know Him because they've got no experience with Him. And we're going to find out in a few moments with Esau. Esau said, I'm sorry to God. Said, I'm sorry to Jacob. But there was no change. Experience matters. After you have suffered a while, after you've experienced that pit, after you have suffered a while, God will establish. After you, though he slay me, slay me. Job was slain on every level. You think some of you are going through a hard time? Try to fit in Job's shoes for a moment. He lost even his children. Wow. Look, do what you want with me, but don't touch my children. <laughs> yeah. Everything. The only friend he had was his wife, it seemed. And even his wife told him, why don't you just die? God's abandoned you. <laughs> Yet I will trust him and I shall come forth after this journey and all my experiences like gold. And so friends, we need to stop crying out over, over all these things that all the past and all that pain and I know it's difficult I know it but they're important and for some of you this is the year that your shadow boxing is over my friend as I was writing this I, I just had the sense to say this is a year to make contact that you're going to make impact I'm going to stop this shadow boxing and allowing my fears and allowing my circumstances to dictate my life I'm going to just allow God's going to give me grace and I'm going to go forward and I'm no longer going to be living in my past and all of that pain that's right Oh, my friends, the shadow boxing, shadow boxing, shadow boxings. All those fears that don't, that don't, don't belong anymore. That, all that anxiety. <laughs> shadow boxing. All those fears and nobody's there. Why, 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 why are you still ducking? Why are you still punching the air as if it's not there anymore it's all those rumors that they did it's not that's what the enemy's using to keep you shadow boxing yes because the battle's in your mind allowing your fear to control your life no it's time for you to get 
into the ring and to deal with the reality of the situation and make this year the year of impact. Make this year the year of impact. This is what God is preparing you for. When you think about Moses, for example, 40 years he lived as a spiritual prince, if you will. He, gets, he murders somebody, ends up in the desert. For the next 40 years, he's going to go through something he's never experienced. But God has, God has him in the ring. God has him in process. He's training for the big one. He's training, and he's going to experience a lot of lions in those in the desert, a lot of bears, uh, spiritually speaking, in the desert, a lot of heartache and pain. But those 40 years of pain and heartache that seem to never end. Have you ever gone through a trial that seems to never end? Uh, God is working, even when I don't see that He's working, even when I don't feel that He's working. He never. He's working. You don't feel it. You don't see it. You don't understand it. But God is working. Where in the desert? I spoke to Rick. Yeah, desert university. In the desert university, I'm going to learn things I never learned while I was in Egypt enjoying the pleasures of the land. I'm going to learn something in the desert I didn't see when I was eating gourmet foods and I had my feet up watching television. No, no, I'm going to learn something in the desert I didn't see before because God has me training God has me running around the block uh, God has me in this in this ring boxing but, uh, but uh, I found a partner and I'm going to learn something I'm not just going to beat the air 40 years in this university in the desert preparing me for the big one yes Moses you don't understand it yet but you're going to go back to Egypt one day and you're going to deal with the big one. Who's the big one? Pharaoh. David, you don't understand it yet. I'm training you with the lions and the bears to prepare you for the big one. Well, what's the big one? For you, David, it's Goliath. For Moses, it was Pharaoh. For you, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. But it's a big one. Because God has a purpose in your life. God has in training for nothing. Nothing just happens. The big one. And so watch this, watch this, watch. Oh, this, this is an amazing story. Both Jacob and Esau fought in the belly. I'm going to give you three Bs. In the belly, they fought at birth and as they got older in this family feud oh there's a fa nothing worse than a family feud just ask Abel just ask Joseph oh ask David how his brothers and his father felt birth in the belly and now, after several years, we see the next battle over what? A bowl. A what? A bowl. Life is a battle, my friends. Belly, birth, and bowl. Different stages of warfare. Jacob was a fighter. Man, this guy fought. Esau fought. He was raised. as He lived fighting in the flesh all of his life. Jacob was a fighter. Esau is a fighter. Life is a battle. Life is a is is a cause. Life is 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 a huge ring. Life is a marathon race, not for twenty six miles, maybe for seventy years for some of you, 
80 years, 60 years. Life is a journey filled with battles. You can rebuke all you want. You're going to go through it. We're in a journey. Ah, my friends, but heaven is worth the journey. Oh, that's another sermon. I'll leave that later. But family feud. And so one day, here comes Esau, arch enemy, comes in the house. He's starving. He's a hunter. He's hunted all day. I'm, I'm man, I'm hungry, I want food. And all the men said, okay. Only Rick says amen, I wonder why. <laughs> I'm hungry, says Esau. I'm a hunter. I've been working hard. And the decision is going to be made. A decision that's going to change the rest of his life. A decision based on hunger. Oh, there's so many. A decision that's based on his hunger. A decision that's based on your appetite. A, de- oh, oh. a decision that's based on your lust, your greed. Oh, I can go far with this one. But there's an appetite. Esau is a picture of the flesh, remember. So is Jacob up to this point, but Jacob has a transformation. We'll get there later. But A decision is about to be made, and my friends, there's so many life lessons. The power of choice is always based on your value system. The power of choice is always based on what you value. How you choose and what you choose is always based on what you think is important, what you value. How you choose will tell me what you value. Esau is hungry. Flesh is always hungry. Flesh is never satisfied. That's why you want more and more and more. The world is never satisfied. Things will pacify, but they will never satisfy. If you're in the flesh, you might find things and do things that pacify, but they don't satisfy. That's why you find them keep doing them over and over and over and over again. Some of these artists, some of these actors, they, they, they have drug problems and they, they might get a bit of help here and there, but ultimately you'll find and you'll find out that, that, that they end up doing it again and not just them, anybody in the world. You see, flesh always longs for the things of the flesh. Hunger for things of the flesh. And Esau is so hungry that he's, he values flesh over spirit he values flesh over spirit Esau is the one who was born first he had potentially the patriotic symbol attached to his name Esau could have been but he valued flesh over Spirit. He valued the things of this world over spirit. He valued the appetites of the flesh over the spirit. It reminds me of what happened to Demas. We're doing a Bible study in daily devotions chapter by chapter. We talked about Demas in 2 Timothy 4. Paul says that Demas has forsaken me, forsaken the Lord. Why? How? Seeking the pleasures of this world. He started well, but he didn't end well. 
How many people start well, but they don't end well because of the flesh? The flesh controls you. Esau controls you. The spirit of Esau is stronger than the spirit of Jacob. And so he says, give me what you've got in that bowl. I'm hungry, Jacob. No, 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 Jacob, no, I see something else here. Jacob's a bit of a mama boy. Remember that, a mama boy? He's learned about cooking. You lay imagine that. He's, he cooks. There's nothing wrong with a guy cooking. I cook sometimes. Uh, eggs, maybe. Uh, I might cook some pasta here and there. You know? My wife has trained me well. I used to make some hamburgers for the kids. I still do, but yeah, I might deal with the barbecue. I do a bit of cooking. But, Jacob, his mother really raised him up in the home. He's a homeboy. He's a mama boy. He's cooking. And here comes the hunter, a man, man. Here comes Mr. Esau, 200 pounds full of meat and area. I'm hungry. And he sees Jacob cooking. Hey, Jacob, well, what do you got in your bowl? I'm hungry. Did you teach it? We read that. We, I see something. I'm seeing these things lately. I don't know what it is. Somebody's praying for me. But I see something. What do I see? Jacob is cooking, Sarah. Big deal. He's cooking some beans. Did Jacob know that God was going to use his, the beans that he's cooking to propel him into his destiny? This moment that Jacob is cooking beans will transform his life forever. What? Just cooking beans? In the kitchen for a few moments? Yes. Those simple things that you least expect. Cooking, just simply cooking. Oh friends, I have a word from the book of Zechariah. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Do not despise your gift. In that moment, Jacob's destiny is about to change. No matter how small your gift is, don't despise it because God can use it to bring you into the next level. Jesus, all he had from this little boy was two fish and five loaves. And he fed the thousands. How about a story we don't know much of? The little maid in 2 Kings chapter 5. Elisha the prophet. Naaman the general of the Syrians was a leper. And there was discussion. The little maid heard about discussion. Says wait a minute. Naaman I know, I know someone who can pray. I know a man. I know a prophet that can make a difference. What, what, what do you mean? Who is he? His name is Elisha. Through this little girl. A great general got healed. A little nobody. She was a maid, a servant. Oh my God. God is going to use your gift, my friends, to open up the next dimension and your destiny. And I, that's why every good gift comes from above. Don't despise your gift. Stop comparing yourself with others. Oh, I wish I could do that. Listen, God has given a gift just for you to get you where you need to be. That's the truth. We should always compare ourselves to each other. Oh, I wish, and yeah, I wish. Paul says, don't compare yourself among yourselves. That's what you're saying. I wish I had another gift. 
No, my friends, God is going to use the gift that he gave you and it's going to make room for where he wants to bring you. It's going to make room for where it's going to bring you. It's going to make room. Jacob is cooking beans. And in that scene, that divine moment, remember, nothing just happens. That's why we live every day. You don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. What you think is mundane and ordinary could be that moment that changes your life. Little did I know that taking the bus one day in 1979 would change my life forever. I had a decision to make. I wasn't going to take the bus that day. I did. And I met a young man that talked to me about Jesus. And my life was never the same again. Oh, my friend cooking beans who would have known that God was going to bring Jacob into another place over a bowl don't ever measure watch this now here's a life lesson don't ever measure your progress by using someone else's ruler don't ever measure your progress by using someone else's ruler or someone else's gift God has something for you and you're in a race, you have your own race to run. Stop trying to run other people's race. You've got your own race, your own gifts for a purpose. Don't measure your worth by looking at other people. We do that. We have a tendency of doing that. Oh, but look at brother. Brother so-and-so, leave him be. God's blessed him. He's got his own race to run. What about your race? Stop looking around all the time. What's he doing? What's she doing? Stop. It's going to get you down. And so, while Jacob is stirring the pot, Esau comes in. Hey, Jacob. What do you got? I smell something good. And he makes a decision based on the flesh. Flesh always values flesh. You see, you are no greater than your what? the choices you make you are no greater than what you value whatever you value is what you will choose whatever you value is what you will choose you see the point is he didn't value his birthright he didn't value his spiritual birthright how many people are like that today maybe you're raised in the church you know the truth maybe your father was a missionary but you've sold your birthright. Do you know how many pastors' kids today are living off the streets? You know how many people that were raised in the church are now following some cult somewhere? You know, a lot of these cults, when you look at the people, you'll find out, well, they used to be a Baptist or a Pentecostal, and it's unbelievable. I was preaching the gospel in Montreal in the corner of St. Hubert and St. Catherine. I was preaching in this, this um, transsexual. Oh, I know, what, I, know, I know what's not popular. I know, I know you've got to watch what you say in the words. I, a transsexual, that's what it is. A, a, a he, she, I'm not sure. Hey, I know who you are. I go, what do you mean? You know, I know who you are. Didn't even, I didn't even say anything. He says, you're one of those preachers. You're a preacher, aren't you? I didn't even start yet. I didn't have preacher written on my chest. Now you're one of those tongue talkers, aren't you? What? 
Why? How did he even know I was Pentecostal? He said, yeah, I know, I know your type. I used, to be, I used to go to church. I used to go to church. But I, I, I don't care about that anymore. I can, I can see why. I, I see what happened. I can see it. Gave up their birthright for the pleasures of this world. The pleasures of this world because we're living in a society today where pleasure is more important than birthrights. Pleasure is more important than conviction of truth. Truth. We don't like truth. We live in a society today, if you preach the truth, you're hated. You're despised. I talked about this last week. You're, you're a hate monger. You're a, you're a bigot. You're a homophobic. I was called homophobic because I... Listen, I, I, I was working in the place, all they were, were were homosexuals. I was there with them talking. Dude, I, I, I brought home people to church with me that were gay. I love, I, I have no problem with it. I have a problem with, the, with any sin, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. Sin is sin. You're homophobic because you, you preach that homosexuality is wrong. You're a legalist when you, tell, when you tell somebody that sex outside of marriage is wrong. They call you a legalist. Anything to justify their behavior. And so when you preach the truth, you're hated. Because you preach the truth. And let me tell you something, friends. Truth sounds like hate when you hate the truth. Truth sounds like hate. When you hate the truth. Sold his birthright because he didn't value God. He didn't value his upbringing. And we're living today in a time where there's no conviction. Everything is relative. There's no absolutes anymore. And, the, and Jesus said the men's hearts will get colder and colder. And as men's hearts are getting colder and colder as we approach the times that we are in deeper and deeper, you'll find out that convictions will be less and less Less and less convictions, less and less convictions. Everything is about preference, preference, what I want, me, me. We're living in a world of preference. It doesn't matter what, what the Bible says, it doesn't matter. There's no absolutes. Preference, the religion of preference. But conviction, conviction is almost something that doesn't exist. And conviction deals with integrity, God's principles. But today, everything is relative. So we have preference. Preference is based on now. Satisfying the flesh. Like Esau, the now. It's a, the preference is about, I want my needs to be met now. Now, now. You live in the moment. You allow your passions to control you. There's no concept of the future or eternity. There's no accountability. That's what preference has. Me, myself, and I. But conviction has eternity in its mind. Yeah, conviction is based on God's principle. It deals with discipline and self-control. And knows it's going to give an account. Preference is influenced by what others think, the world thinks, the media thinks, easily succumbs to peer pressure. Worldly. You know people that are worldly minded always about what the world, that's how you live, the world what the media says and the world says that you're just governed by the world and governed by media and the fashions of this world conviction is sacrificial it speaks of the narrow path and if you speak about the narrow path you're a bigot or you're, or you're a legalist I was talking to someone on the phone you're a legalist why? 
Well, well, why you, we're so, your, your teachings are so rigid. I get comments. Your, your, your teachings are rigid, Pastor. Well, well, what do you think it means when Jesus said there's two, two paths, the narrow and the broad? I, I didn't preach this. The narrow path deals with conviction. You can't walk on the narrow path and live a life of preference. That's the Greek mentality of the Epicurean philosophies. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let us eat. Let us have fun. Let us party. It makes no difference. Tomorrow we're going to be dead. There's no eternity. There's no God. Preference. That's the society in which we live in today. Very little conviction. And if there's no conviction, then sin will run rampant. Conviction is sacrificial now, a self-denial. You see, Esau had no self-control. He was governed by his appetites. And I know some Christians like that, just governed by their appetites. No self-control. Self-control and temperance is the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have any self-control and no discipline, something is wrong with you spiritually. We, we, we talk about all these blatant sins and I know the sexual depravities, but, but can I tell you that no self-control is just as devastating as any one of these sins? Because if you've got no self-control, you'll, you'll let life control you. So the question is, are you a person of preference or conviction? I speak to somebody on Facebook, those on YouTube. Are you people of preference like Esau, or do you have any conviction that we're going to discover that Jacob had later on? Life lesson. Anytime you have something you don't value, you will always lose it. If your spiritual life is important, but not so important, you'll make excuses for everything. You won't care to go to church. You won't care to go to prayer meetings. You won't study the Word of God on your own. You'll always have other things that are more important. But we always make time for the things we love. So when you wake up at 5 o'clock to go play golf, or you wake up at 4.30 because you've got to travel somewhere so you can go to a tournament to play hockey, that tells me what you love. But can you wake up at 4.30 to go to a prayer meeting? Boy, did it get quiet all of a sudden, Nadia. Jeez, it got quiet here. Conviction. Your choices determine your destiny. Jacob is cooking soup. Esau has a birthright that will affect thousands of people, thousands of years. A birth, he's got a spiritual pedigree. A decision is made. Jacob is simply cooking, and here comes the moment. And all of heaven is peeking over the balcony. If heaven has a balcony, what is Esau going to do? What is Jacob going to do? And when he looked at that red soup, see, everything was prophetic. Esau means red. Red soup. Oh, he was attracted by that red soup because it was a picture of his flesh, of who he is. You will always be attracted to what you really are. I had mothers in the last church especially. A lot of kids were in gangs and problems, youth, leaving home, fights, school problems. 
mothers, I, I, every mother I counseled that had children problems, youth pump. Well, you know, pastor, you, you know, he just got caught up with the wrong crowd. You know, you got to excuse that. No, 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 no. You don't, get ca- you don't get caught up in the wrong crowd unless you like that crowd. Can I be blatant with you? You don't get caught up in, no, 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 no. You're attracted to that crowd. You're attracted to the way they live. It's just like adultery. Well, you know, it just, it just, you know, he just had an affair. You know, it just happened. No, no, friends. Adultery doesn't just happen. The seeds are there for a long time. Lust has been built up, and all of a sudden, after all those hours and years of lust, it's conceived. No! No, 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 friends. He chose because of who he is. He chose something he valued more than his birthright. He looked at the temporal over the spiritual. That's why Paul says, we look not upon the things that are seen, but we look upon the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are temporal. And the things that are what are, are, are unseen are spiritual. And the things that are unseen are temporal. Uh, seen are temporal. So, so you walk by faith, in other words, and not by sight. You're walking towards the temporal. I'm hungry. I need to gratify my flesh right now. I'm hungry. I need to gratify my flesh. I'm full of lust. I need to pick up. I got to go to the computer and look at some pornography. I got to satisfy my flesh now. Uh, I'm greedy. I got to go, go to the casino. I want to satisfy my greed. I'm depressed, and so I'm going to pick up that bottle. And I'm going, to, I'm going to quench and drown my depression through this bottle, not realizing that that bottle is going to make me even more depressed. But my flesh needs to be anesthetized. So let me get drunk. Let me look at that pornography. Let me, let, 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 let me have that affair. Let me, let me eat. By the way, can I just... Gluttony is also a sin. Before we get further... Can I be honest with you? We talk about sex, we talk about greed, we talk, what about gluttony? Let me tell you, we're living in a gluttonous society. We have no self-control in how we eat. And I know, I know Christians who rebuke, you know, they rebuke the demon of eating? What? There's no such thing as a demon of eating. What the stupidity is this? The demon of, you know, of, of, of excess. Get some self-control and learn to say no. Oh, I know I'm going to get some enemies today. I might even have some here. But I'm only speaking the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. Self-control. Everybody gets hungry. I get hungry. But I learn to control it if, I, if, 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 if it's too much. Gluttony is one thing and eating is another thing. Control, self-control. Flesh will always be drawn to the flesh. And that's the problem today in our society. What's popular? What's good? What's my position? Life lesson. You will always end up with what you value. You will always end up with what you value. Ultimately, Esau ended up with the birthright. He valued, without the, uh, the, the, losing his birthright. And he ended up eating porridge or stew. He valued the stew more than his birthright. That's who you are. You see, it will always end up, you'll always end up with what you value. Who you marry. Who you marry. 
is based on your values. Whether you go to church or not, based on your values. Whether you respect your parents, based on what you value. Your relationship with God, based on what you value, what's important to you, what you value, what's important to you. Oh, I got a word for somebody. Unless Christ is valued above all, He's not valued at all. For you can't serve two masters, Jesus said. So either you value Him all the way, or not at all. Hmm. Listen, friends, you can't be the bride of Jesus and the girlfriend of Satan at the same time. Because God has no mistresses. He's got a wife, period. No mistresses with God. You can't be his girlfriend and Satan's girlfriend at the same time. You can't, you can't come to church with a bouquet of flowers for God and then on Monday you give a box of chocolates to the devil. That, 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 that doesn't work that way. I'm not dating Jesus with flowers and the devil with chocolates on next week. That, that, that doesn't work. And now a choice is coming. I'm going to close. I'm closing. Now watch this. So important. You know, friends, you need to be strong enough to be able to go through a long journey. You see, because, friends, this is what I'm saying. We want everything quick, but the Christian walk is a long journey. Listen, there's no drive-through breakthroughs. Instant tea and instant coffee does not exist in heaven. We're in a long journey, and in this journey, we're going to go through temptations and trials and experiences, and we have to learn to endure. He that endures to the end shall be saved, Jesus said. We're not very good in endurance, but let, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap a reward if ye faint. It's a journey, and we have to endure. We, have to, we don't want to endure, but life is a life of endurance. We, we, this is what we need to understand. We're in a race. A marathon race, not a sprint. Do you know how long it takes to run a marathon race for the average person if he does? A lot longer than a sprint. A sprint, well, what? 15 seconds for the average person? Or 14 seconds? For Pastor Josh, it's only 10 seconds. But, but the marathon race for the average person, if you could endure the average, five to six hours. The average, if you can make it. We're in a long, this is a journey, brothers and sisters. We have to learn how to endure things. In a marathon race, you're going to get thirsty. You might get a cramp as you're running. You know, I've had a few of those. You might stumble, you might trip. You might just feel so excited, you just want to rest for a few minutes. See, in your journey, you're going to go through different trials and different experiences. You might stub your toe, you might trip, you might fall. You might get exhausted and get a little... But you got to keep running! You got to keep running. You're in a race. You can't just give up so easily. And that's where the training comes. Your training will help you to endure. 
Training helps you to endure. I used to train so much. My, 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 my hockey, the players, they, I never sweat. Take my helmet off, there was no sweat. Why you, what's wrong with you? you got some, no, I trained so much, I didn't even sweat in the game anymore. decision was made and destiny manifested this choice changed the name of Esau to Edom and his children forever had he not made this choice God would have said to Moses I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Esau but he didn't say that did he I am the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob right here at the bowl right here that's where it took place. Destiny over a miserable little bowl. But oh, how deep the spiritual implication is. Had he not given up his birthright, his children would have had the tribes of Israel. Oh my God, can you imagine that over a bowl of soup? Is that where your convictions are, oh spiritual friend of mine? What kind of convictions do you have? You give up so easily, you succumb to sin so easily? Where's your spiritual strength in your conviction? A preacher in Texas had a problem with lust. Picked up a prostitute, a preacher picked up a prostitute, slept with her that night. Woke up in the morning, woke, didn't, woke up in the morning, went to the bathroom and saw on the mirror of the bathroom in lipstick, mentioned the pastor's name. We'll call him Fred. Fred! Oh, by the way, welcome to the world of AIDS. True story. One moment destroyed his life forever. Oh, sin fascinates. You know that? Well, it fascinates. Oh, it's exciting. But then it assassinates. Sin thrills. Oh, but then it kills. One moment a pastor's life ended completely, physically and spiritually, because he had the Esau appetite. No self-control, preference over conviction. My God, my God, preference. failed at that moment God will always give you a moment where your destiny can be determined we talked about that that every day those everyday scenarios that you think that everyday that moment in that everyday cycle something powerful can happen that moment that moment when you least expect he's cooking soup you think Jacob thought anything was going to happen he's cooking soup but you see there are some moments that you will never have again for such a time again such a time as this for such a time as this there are opportunities that God gives us that, that are for that moment that are for that moment that moment is important that moment you see there are some things that once you lose them you can't get them back in he Hebrews chapter 12 verse 17 the Bible says that Esau sought repentance with many tears but he found it not doesn't make sense did he repent it seems like he repented he cried but it wasn't real crocodile tears don't save you how many people have gone to the altar they've wept but there's no change 
because they're just crocodile tears. It's not deep. It's just emotion, emotions, emotions, emotions. They're all emotions, emotions. You're, 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 you're guilty, you're, you're upset, and you're crying because you got caught like King Saul. But it's not repentance. It's not real. It's like people, oh, I'm sorry. You ever have people, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Really? And they keep doing it again and again. Because you know, he's not sorry. It's just words. Sorry without change means nothing. Repentance without change means nothing. I can cry all I want, and I can make all the noises I want. I can dance and shout all I want. I can even attend church all I want. But if there's no change, the flesh, you see, he chose on the level that he was and not on the order of his birthright. My needs my appetites he's a prince but lived like a pauper he chose low and he missed the moment he missed the moment he made oh logos facebook listen carefully there will always be a moment that god will give you a decision you need a decision that will end up your death two d's that decision will determine your destiny there's a decision that's coming that will determine your destiny and if you don't discern the power of that moment no devil in hell can stop you who would have thought that with all that Jacob, all of his battles and fightings, that he would win the battle over a bowl of soup? A bowl of soup. Oh, my friends, for some of you, after years of struggle, crying yourselves to sleep, why was I rejected? Why did my mother, why did my father, why did he leave me? Yes, all of a sudden something shifts. You don't even see it coming. There's a moment coming and what you do with that moment will determine your destiny. What you do, Jacob was a fighter in the belly. He's a fighter at birth. He's a fighter over the bowl. He's a fighter all of his life and Jacob didn't start very well at all but something, Jacob's going to make a decision that was a very antithesis of his brother Jacob becomes Israel over one more decision that he has to make that changed his course forever another battle and God prepared Jacob here's that word again for the big one what's the big one for Moses it was Pharaoh for David it was Goliath and for Jacob guess what it's going to be his own brother Esau. What does the Bible say? Oh, there's another battle. God now has prepared him. God has prepared him all these years in the deserts, at his home, all the conflicts with his uncle Laban, even with his wives, battle after battle, lying, cheating, deceiving, all the battles. But now God is going to bring him to a final battleground that's going to change his life forever. And there he is in Genesis chapter 32 and 33. We see a powerful story. Esau now is angry with Jacob. Here. Here, I'm angry. I want to get revenge. My brother cheated me. He cheated me out of my, my birthright. He All of a sudden, he seems to care about it. And now he wants to kill his brother Jacob. And God has prepared him. And now Jacob ends up in a very important place called the Book of Peniel. And now he has to make a decision. What am I going to do? God has brought him all the way here. Birth, belly, bowl. And now he's by my fourth bee. Oh, He's by a brook. And by this brook, the greatest decision of his life will lead him into his destiny. Esau's coming to kill him. 
Is he going to fight like he's always fought in the flesh? Is he going to wrestle with him? Yeah, he does fight, friends, but he fights a different way. He's going to wrestle in a different way. He's no longer going to have a Roman Greco wrestling match. He's going to have a wrestling in prayer. He's going to wrestle in the spirit. And he's decided, I can't take it anymore. I've been a Jacob all my life. I have fought in the flesh all my life, even like my brother. But here I am, Lord. You've brought me to this brook for a reason. He's running after me to kill me. Jacob is running for his life. He's a fugitive. Uh, and he comes to Peniel and he says, that's it. I've had it. I got to change. I repent. It's got to stop. Got to stop blaming Esau. Stop blaming my mother. Got to stop blaming my pastor. Got to stop blaming the pastor. Got to stop blaming my wife, my husband. And I'm going to wrestle. I'm going to take it to God. And he doesn't wrestle in the flesh, he wrestles in the spirit. And he begins to seek God and begin to cry out to God. And he's wrestling with this angel. And the angel, there he is. And he says, I'm not letting you go. I've been a fighter all my life, but, but I'm going to finally take that fight that's in me and turn it into something good. I'm going to fight in the spirit. Paul said, I fought the good fashion. I fought the good fight of faith. And I'm going to fight in the spirit. I'm going to wrestle with you in the spirit. And he finally got his breakthrough in a different kind of ring the big one and how do I know he had a breakthrough he stopped conniving deceiving and lying in Genesis 33 verses 1 to 4 his brother comes to kill him what does Jacob do? He goes to his brother. He bows down seven times and he kisses him. I'm sorry. I, I've done wrong to you. I repent. The angel said, Jacob, because of what you've done, because you've wrestled with me, because you've turned your heart to me, your name will change from Jacob, deceiver, liar, to Israel, the prince of God, to, to Israel. But your brother, because of his decision, his name was changed from Esau to Edom. The Edomites were a cursed group of men and women. They were the thorn of Israel's flesh for many years. All because of one decision. A lousy, miserable bowl of soup based on a man's appetite for the flesh. Based on a decision that Jacob made, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being a supplanter. Two decisions were made. Two different directions took place. Your decisions are important. Some of you right now, every head bowed, Please, every head bowed. There are people in this room that are making decisions, are in the process of making decisions. You're in the process of making a decision. And you're not even sure what to do. But there's a little bit of Esau in you, and there's a little bit of Jacob in you. The Esau is telling you, nah, you know what? 
uh, this is what I want and this is what I want to do and it doesn't matter what she did, I'm going to. But then there's the Jacob part of you rising up and saying, wait a minute, stop taking vengeance. Stop, stop walking in the flesh. The Jacob in you is saying, no, no, I'm going to stop wrestling and I'm going to start wrestling with God and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God's direction. I'm going to seek God's wisdom. I know what my flesh is saying. And the reason why you're struggling is because, because what you're perceiving God saying doesn't seem to make sense to you. It doesn't make sense to you. Who am I speaking to this morning? On Facebook, who am I speaking to? Please stop allowing your flesh to lead your life. Stop being lured by stew and by things that don't really matter eternally. Stop making decisions because you're living in the now. What is God saying? Stop being governed by your emotions that affect your decisions. What is God saying? What does God want you to do? That's what's important. What is God's will, not my will? It's time to put your body into subjection. It's time to make decisions based on the higher and not the lower. It's time. It's time. Now more than ever. To stop living a life of preference and start living a life of conviction. What does God say? What does God want? If you're in a valley of indecision this morning, if you're in a valley of confusion and doubt, if you're in the valley and you have a battle between the Jacob and the Esau within you, remember, both of you, spirit and flesh, live in one body. If, you're, if you feel and believe that Esau is controlling your life, the spirit of Esau, you need to make it right today. You need to make a decision today. Who am I speaking to? You need to wrestle with God. Now, this moment, this is the moment for some of you where you need to make that decision. God, I've had enough running, hiding, manipulating, conniving. I've had enough. I'm tired of it. I need to change. If that's you, whatever that change is, whatever that enough is, if that's you, and you're honest and humble enough and spiritual enough to admit it. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Nobody looking. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. My goodness, quite a few hands this morning. I see hands in the back. 
I see hands in the lobby. Well, like Jacob, it's time to make a decision this morning. Those that raise their hands, I'm going to ask you to stand as a form of wrestling with God. You say, I'm standing up before you, Lord, and I'm going to pray right now. Let's parallel that with Jacob wrestling with the Lord. You're standing up right now out of the crowd. You're standing up. You don't care who's around you. You don't care who's looking at you. You made a decision. Doesn't matter what people think of me or say of me. I'm tired. I need a change. I want you to stand. Those on Facebook and YouTube, I want you to stand where you are too. You might be sitting on your couch. You might be whatever. Stand. Stand up before the Lord. And as you're standing, you're saying, Lord, I've had enough. I'm taking a stand. As you are physically standing, you are spiritually taking a stand. Having done all, let us stand, Paul said. I'm taking a stand over my flesh. Over my appetites that are not holy. I'm taking a stand over the ways of this world. I'm taking a stand over my appetites that do not please you, Lord. I'm taking a stand against compromise and preference. Pastor Josh, lead us in the chorus and I'm going to pray.